Hewitt Bowling to Isles. And there it is. That's 200. A double century. Isles holds his battle up and acknowledges the Bolton fans. 200 episodes. Hello and welcome to the Buff Podcast. My name is Mark Isles and I'm the Chief Football Writer of the Bolton News. This is the 200th episode of a show that started like this. Welcome to the Buff, the podcast that just blocked Rebecca Vardy. Hello and welcome to episode one of The Buff Podcast. My name is Mark Isles. I'm the chief football writer of the Bolton Evening News. Yeah, I still call it that. (laughs) Sat alongside me like uh, a puppy dog waiting for scraps to be thrown down from the table. Tom the boy. Malloy. Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing absolutely fantastically, Mark, actually today. I'm very excited. You sound chipper. I actually, I, I very much am. It's uh, been a long time coming, the first official episode of The Buff. Well, the music improved, and, well, don't tell him I said this, but so did the co-host. Just over four years, we've thoroughly enjoyed bringing you the very best and the, well, the very worst of Bolton Wanderers. And to celebrate our 200th episode, we have got a very, very special guest lined up, a goal-scoring legend, in fact... The Iceman Cometh, as Dave Hickson once said, it's Tony Phyllis Kirk. But first, let's introduce my co-host, and a, a young man who uttered his first words on the podcast just like this. We, we, we toyed with a few guest co-hosts um, after, I've forgotten what his name is now, you know the ginger one that used to present this with me? Uh, no, I've forgotten his name. Yeah, after he left, uh, we toyed with a couple of different names, um, but I'm delighted to have a new one in the hot seat alongside me uh, this week. Henry Hewitt, or Double H, as I think it's fair to call you now. Henry, how are you doing, pal? I'm good, thanks. I mean, that was a... I, I couldn't have put the last 196 days better myself. And, uh, I mean, it just shows that any normal season, we get so much fast, so much funny stuff, so much weird stuff happening with Bolton, and it's not changed during lockdown. Henry Hewitt, where did that time go? Happy 200th episode, mate. Happy 200th. Uh, I think it's my 175, so it's a bit of a milestone for me, not as much as the podcast, and I have to <laughs> share, uh, what what is it, an eighth of uh, the congratulations with Tom as well, yeah. uh, wherever he is now. No, 200 episodes. Well done, Matt. You've been here for all of them, so congratulations to you. Yeah, yeah, I have been through for all of them. It should really, theoretically, be 201 because there was a pilot episode that we put out about three weeks later, but I don't think we count that one in the in the general scheme. But yes, I mean, it's been a long... I mean, we started this podcast when Keith Hill was in charge. And, I mean, we, we did, the whole idea of it, the whole idea of kicking it off was because we'd had such a crap time 
under he shall but not be named and everything that happened it was like just let's have a bit of fun let's just try and do something a bit more fun with Bolton Wanderers nowadays it's really easy to do that and and you've got kind of a manager who appreciates the that side of things that the whole club is is kind of buoyant and and, and upbeat etc but I tell you what back in the day there taking the pee out of what was happening a very difficult time. It was. A, it wasn't easy. It was treading an eggshells job. I, honestly, I, the, this podcast I thought was going to get me in a lot of trouble at one point. <laughs> uh, well, you had to find something to fill your time after uh, all those court visits and <laughs> uh, you know <laughs> dried up. But uh, no, it's um, you know you're just listening back to myself there. It's it's you know. It's progressed so well, and I don't mean the podcast, I mean Bolton Wanderers. No, we're still doing the same old crap, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> same shtick, same music, we're fine. Yeah. Um, but no, it's uh, to think that we were in, just really starting our League Two campaign mm. there, and uh, you know we've had promotion, a Wembley trip, um, 6-0 against Sunderland, 7-0 against Exeter, 8-1 yeah. against Man United under-21s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been a hell of a ride. Yeah, and that's not to to mention the Bolton Beer Festival, which I think mm. that that people always refer to it as the drunken episode, and they're not wrong. Actually, I, I listened to myself on that one, and uh, I don't know. There must be something in the production because I was a bit slurry. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah. I, I did think of a time before this. This microphone's a bit slow, and uh, <laughs> but famously that episode. Not only was it the drunken episode, but it was also um, the episode where the day, the morning after, when Sarsavik. Uh, it announced mm. he was leaving, and everything became <laughs> out of date very quickly. Um, yeah, yeah. So if you did, if you do remember that one and did listen at the time, thank you for sticking with that one. That had no reference to the biggest news story of the season for Bolton, which broke when I had the biggest hangover of the season as well after going <laughs> in the Bolton beer vessel for an entire night, and then I woke up and it's like, oh, by the way, uh, Sarsavik's been chopped. He's gone to Stockport. You what? <laughs> Good grief. Um, well, I mean. Look, this is a historic one. It's a 200th episode of The Buff, but also this is a historic run for Bolton. Yes, winning run came to an end as far as um, uh, Oxford on Tuesday night, but seven straight clean sheets. It's been quite a, quite a run. It has, yeah. And I think this has kind of gone under the radar a little bit. And, um, I, you know, you've got to... Really, and I know he's had the praise since the game, and it, which is great to see. But Baxter is, mm. you know, when you think of him and Trafford, Trafford was, you know, obviously everyone was loved Trafford, and we still do. But there's a lot more said about Trafford. I don't know whether Trafford would, because last season we would have more shots. You know, we'd give up more opportunities, so he'd make more saves, maybe a, a great saves or whatever. Uh, whereas Baxter, he's kind of gone about his business quietly, but I mean, we saw the other night how good he is against mm. Oxford. First time since 1900, I believe. Yeah, Queen Victoria was on the throne last time they did seven in a row, which wow. is quite something. Bayern Munich and Ajax hadn't even been invented. <laughs> The Labour Party started that season. Yeah, I've got... Uh, the, in fact, the last goalkeeper to do it was a guy called John W. Sutcliffe. John Willie Sutcliffe, his name was. And he was quite a, quite an interesting character. He was actually the first player ever to be sent off for Bolton Wanderers. He got sent off in 1902 for dissent. Right. Um, but he was a player who played rugby union and football for England. He's also a, a really good cricketer um, locally. Uh, and he was he was quite a legend down in Plymouth as well. He, he, he 
played for United. He went down to, to Plymouth. He was basically a superstar of the day. He was on all the cigarette cards and such like. But he's one of those players that because it, because of the era and because we've got no, no footage or anything, nobody really remembers that much about him. But he played 364 times, I think, for Bolton. So, wow. no, fair play. J.W. Sutcliffe, we salute you. But, uh, yeah, Nathan Baxter... Has, has taken up the mantle, and, and to be honest, I mean, I mean, I could have played in goal against Exeter on Saturday. Let's <laughs> let's be honest; it was they are definitely the poorest team I think that's played against Bolton, not including United's kids in in some time. And that's not demeaning Bolton's achievement. I just thought they were really poor. Yeah, I, it was a weird feeling leaving the game on Saturday because again, you've just won seven nil, and you you can't ask for anything more. It was a great day, and Lundaloo's goal was brilliant to to witness, and uh, it got the loudest cheer, even though it was seven nil. It just felt a bit, I don't know. It felt, a, I think everyone realised that, yeah, these were rubbish. Do you know, like it wasn't. But <laughs> I don't. Bolton for me didn't necessarily get out of third gear, which is amazing to think we won seven nil. But um, yeah, I don't want to demean. I don't want anyone to think we, you know, we're doing that because we're not seven nil first time. I was there against Swindon in 97 and uh if you just said at that point it'll be a whatever 26 years or yep. whatever it's been since uh since that the, the next time we'll score seven in a league game um then i maybe i took it in a bit more even though i was six years old at the time but um yeah it was it was brilliant but i, I mean exeter i think for me you could sense it we were sat in the north stand lower and right in front of us in the first half i think santos and their striker were going for the ball Obviously, like he does every week, Santos mm. muscles him out a bit. The ball kind of goes towards the uh, the touchline and stops. And Tall jogs, picks, like mm. gets it, and he just it's on the bar, it's on the touchline, and no one's no one's even challenging him. And I think that was a sense of what was happening. I don't know what Exeter's uh, what their you know their tactics were, but it clearly wasn't to press Bolton Wanderers. No, they they had a centre half check Dibati up from who. Played like a centre half. He, I mean, he, he was he was dreadful, he was dreadful. And and Gary Caldwell, I felt a little bit for him afterwards because I mean the uh, the fans had been obviously on his back quite a bit in the build up. The club had released sort of a vote of confidence in the build up as well. So I think he knew that he was on shaky ground. They've got a couple of games uh, coming up that I think you know unless they get results there, he could be in trouble. But look. Uh, Bolton did what they had to do. They breezed through it. They played some great football. And again, they did play some great football, I, I think, on Tuesday night at Oxford as well. Freezing cold. One of the coldest... The three-sided stadium at Kassam is one of the coldest places um, to play in a winter. It's horrible. You can kind of see the lovely warm glow of Frankie and Benny's and, and like a, a cinema and a bowl and Alan. You think, I'd do anything to be in there rather than sat freezing my brassics off in this press box. But Bolton... First half, a little bit, a little bit nervy, maybe. I think they were kind of getting to, into the stride of the game. Second half, outstanding. Should have been out of sight, really. Should have won the game, but you know, you take your point, you go home. Yeah, I think at the end that was the general consensus of us all. Is um, the you know you take your point. I, this is it against Portsmouth as well. Is if you come if you come away from that and it's um, it's to two points mm. okay two points on paper is not great for where we want to be however you know you, you probably take a move on two away games done and uh you move on to a um a couple of home games then before christmas so yeah. i think uh going off the second half 
we should have, I think we should have scored. We had some great chances. That one Bod Vars sent a far post. Iredale had the freedom of, uh, well, the, the missing stand to uh, <laughs> on that left-hand side in the second yeah. half. I don't know what was happening with their right right side at all. But, um, yeah, it just weren't meant to be. It is what it is. And, um, you know, I think you, you take the... You take the positives, another clean sheet, and move on. And uh, and yeah, we've got a couple of league, uh, cup games now before the Portsmouth game. Yeah, I think it's going to be a a nice change of pace potentially for what's coming up. But that Pompey game, I'm with you. I take a point now. I take a point to Pompey. Nothing wrong with that away from home against two very decent sides. But if that is the best that League One has got to offer, i.e. Oxford, then you know I think Bolton are in a very good position. They're in a really good position, and, and provided they don't get any injuries, I'm I'm not quite as confident as you, which I don't think is possible to be quite as confident <laughs> as you are. But we are uh, we are certainly getting there. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, this is a very very special episode of the Buff two uh, hundredth, in fact. So what we've done, we're going to make this slightly different than we normally do. We're going to do some headlines in a second, uh, after which I'm going to bring in our special guest Tony Phyllis Kirk um, and chat with him about. His, his Burnham Park days, all those, I mean, honestly, some of his memories are absolutely fantastic to listen to. Um, if you were lucky enough to see him in a Bolton shirt and you can remember his free kicks and his penalties, um, you will uh, you will be in for a treat. If you weren't, then swat up because this is, uh, this is definitely a, a lesson for you in Bolton Wanderers history. But first, let's find out what happened this week in Headlines. <laughs> News. Uh, well, we just spoke about him then, Nathan Baxter. He's mm. uh, been surprised by his improvement since joining uh, the club, um, mm. which uh, is, a, is a positive, a positive for Matt Jilks and the rest of the coaching team. Yeah, I, I, we had got him after the game on Tuesday night at Oxford and spoke to him about being this kind of sweeper-keeper. Um, which I think he was used to doing at Chelsea. I think he they played possession football at Hull, but it wasn't quite to the same level, or not to the same level. It wasn't quite to the same extreme, potentially, as, as Bolton do. And I think that Nathan Baxter said that he was surprised at what progress he's made with the ball at his feet and the fact that he's basically joining in as a fourth centre-half now. And you can see, I mean, he said to, to us, he, I touched the ball in the centre circle against Exeter City for the first time ever. <laughs> um, I mean, that's taking sweeping keeping to a, a to the nth degree, isn't it? But he seems to be enjoying himself. And as you said before, there was a lot said when he came in and we were all kind of mourning Traff and, and Connor Bradley leaving and wondering what happened next. But the, the attitude he's shown and... Josh Dakers-Cogley as well. They've both come in and done a terrific job. And I think there's a lot of, uh, I mean, football ebbs and flows, opinions ebb and flow, we know that. But a lot got said of the recruitment at one stage this season and people were pointing and saying, it wasn't good enough, we haven't done this, we haven't done that. Let's take our cap off and say Baxter and Dakers-Cogley on free transfers were two of the best deals we've had for a very long time as things stand. Yeah, I think with Baxter is, um, you know, I said before, we don't seem to be giving up as many chances as we were last season. So that's probably no. why he's gone under the radar a little bit. But, you know, when he's been called upon, I, I, can, I can't think of many mistakes he's made. Some people may look at the fourth Wigan goal, but I, yeah. I think that was a, a bit of a... It just happened to drop in rather than drop over the bar. And, uh, 
Is that one where mm-hmm. we went? We went up. Was it Carlisle the third one where we went up without without oh, yeah, warning? Sorry, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Look, I, I don't mind well, that. I don't mind the odd the odd bit there in, in games that don't necessarily matter. But when you really need him, he's there, isn't he? He is. Yeah, and I think this is the you know this is the positive, and and this is it with him. And uh, you you know the whole fans were very complimentary of him when he came, mm. and um, yeah, you just need a, a reliable goalkeeper, and he's he's playing better with his with his feet as he said so uh yeah all positives at the moment and uh, uh we'll hopefully uh, because i think now we're, we're only like to think weeks ago we were saying we need to keep more clean sheets now I, I were looking at the uh conceded goals i think we're only two off whoever's conceded the least amount mm. so uh yeah we, we we these clean sheets are definitely helping us get to that yeah definitely give us another headline Okay, so Dan Arundelu, uh we mentioned him before. I got the loudest cheer of the day on Saturday when he scored. Um, it's been we we spoke a few weeks ago about a difficult period in his life where a friend of his uh, passed away, um, and he's opened up on on dealing with that along with uh, you know alongside um, some criticism he's he's had, and I've given him some criticism to be honest. And I hold my hands up, and he took his goal very well on Saturday. So hopefully. This can spur him on now, and he can uh, he can score plenty more for us. But it has been a difficult start for him, hasn't it? It, it has been a difficult start, and I, and I don't think he's saying that nobody should should criticise if if criticism is warranted, fair criticism. I think there's been a lot of unwarranted stuff. I think that you know there's there's been a lot of very um, poor comments that have come my way um, on online over him and a couple of the other strikers. To be honest, this season. I think when you play striker, you know you're going to get judged on goals and that's always going to be what people ultimately look at and and regardless of how well you might play in the build-up and how important a team you do, a job you do behind the scenes, etc. Unfortunately, the stuff that goes down on paper is what you've scored and you kind of, even Kevin Davis had that, you know, the people still throwing that back in his face all these years after he's retired. So it's, it's, just the life of a striker. It's the same as a goalkeeper. They always look at what you conceded, not not how many saves you made necessarily. So, I think with Dan, he's you know he's a a young lad. He's he's quite a delicate kind of soul. He's just such a nice guy. You one of those guys you really want to see succeed. A bit like Bob Varson, kind of. He's not a brash kind of Dion Charles. Nothing really bothers me. You know, you, I'm going to stick it up your type of thing. He's, he's a different type of guy to that. So when he scored at the weekend, you could see what it meant to him. It was kind of like, oh, thank God, you know, I've got lift off in the league, first league goal. And I think his performances have improved. I think what he's done from the bench has improved recently. Same with Bod Varson, um, to the point that now people are saying, you know, should Bar- Bod Varson start ahead of NBA show? Um and and I think it will happen. It'll it'll happen in peaks peaks and troughs as to who's who's banging form and who's not. But it's it's about trying to keep everybody who's not in the team in the sort of level of form where they can come on and make an impact. And I think that's where Lundelow is at the minute, where he's not necessarily going to start the games, but he needs to be absolutely in the right frame of mind to impact games where he does come on. 
And then when he plays in the cup games or when he plays, you know, there are injuries and he comes in, that he's, he's ready to go. And it's getting that kind of mentality switched on. And, and, and I hope that helps him. I hope that helps him because there has been some undue criticism. There always is when you... And, and especially if you've got social media, I tell any player who listen or who is listening, get off. Don't have everything private. Do not look. It's easier said than done, I know. But if I was a, a player, a footballer who's whose work depends on confidence, there's no way would I bother with social media um, because there are too many idiots with with opinions out there, I'm afraid. Um, yeah. But that's the way, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, ironically, it's, it has to, you've got to have real strong mental uh, mental strength not to go looking for that. And uh, yeah. that's the irony of it, is to, to, to ignore it takes more strength than to go looking for it. But... Um, yeah, you know, Lundaloo is, you know, it's. I think it's, it's it, it is one where the whole fan base wants him to succeed, and I think that is there's not one person in a but you know who supports Bolton that's like no, I, I don't want him to do well. Everyone wants him to do well. Uh, he seems a lovely guy, um, you know, and I, I agree with you. I think his performances the last few weeks have been much better, uh, but it's it's so difficult for for him. Because um, if you think I, it's difficult for them all, but if you look at Charles and Ali Biagio, they have normally around six between sixty and seventy-five minutes to impact a game, whereas Unlundalu comes on and there's sometimes he's got fifteen minutes or twenty minutes. Mm. So and he might not get many touches of the ball, you know. So so I can understand it. I can understand it's difficult, but this is it for him. He's got to take his chances and. Uh, he took it on on uh, Saturday against Exeter. I'm assuming he's going to start against uh, um, against Harrogate and yeah, possibly so. Port Vale as well. Mm. So he's got two games now where he can really um, really impact. And and if he can score a few goals, then suddenly in a in a world where Adibiejo is um, he's you know he scored on Saturday, but a few play, people are like, well, he should he be in the team? Unlundalu has now got an opportunity. We can score a few goals in the next few games to go. Actually, yeah, yeah. There's Bud Varson, but there's me as well. So, mm. um, so yeah, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to see what um, how he does. But I, I hope he does go on and, and score some goals. Yeah, definitely. Give us another headline. Uh, right. So the next headline is about uh, a loan signing. Who um, you know, we always say, Matt, don't fall in love with loan signings. <laughs> we did it with Trafford. We did it with Bradley. We've done it with loads before. And this season's version is Paris Magoma. Um, he's uh, he's played really well. He's been scoring goals as well for Bolton, and uh, he's been saying that he's really enjoying himself. But no one's talking about a possible permanent deal just yet. Is there, mm. is there one in the offing? Is there a few caveats to it? Does it pro- provide us getting promoted? What What do you think? Well, I mean, it almost, I'm not almost, it definitely depends on being promoted. They won't be in, in anything like the financial league to be able to buy him permanently from Brentford um, if, they, if they don't get into the championship. Now, look, I don't want to. I don't want to kind of uh, spend too long dwelling on finances and what might happen in the championship at the minute because it it will detract from the focus of actually getting there. I think I I listened to a, a conversation in in the 
the bar in my hotel. I came back, rattled, started rattling out um, some player ratings and such like. And there was a there was a conversation going on with some Bolton fans behind me, and there was a guy spouting on about how they wouldn't invest seven, uh, wouldn't invest uh, in Johnson Clark Harris this season because, to quote him, they've got no money and all this kind of stuff. Absolute nonsense! Absolute nonsense! Nobody was going to be paying seven hundred and fifty grand for Johnson Clark Harris, let alone the ten grand a week he wanted. Um, he wouldn't have fit at Bolton. We've, we've covered all that. We've covered all that. Um, the the bottom line is, they they are theoretically doing things uh, in a kind of sustainable way at the minute. They're not pushing the boat out. I don't think necessarily we should be kind of like pushing for that. I mean, we've been there. We've done that. Would you want to gamble in League One on, you know, overspending at this minute in time when they've spent three years getting this squad at this level to this point? You know, they, yeah. they, they've they got the squad there where they want it. There might be some fine tuning to be done in January, but you don't want, you just don't expect them to go splashing massive money in the, you know, in the um, risking what could be financial security. In the championship, that is a different matter. They're going to have to have a look at things and it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I think they've got to appreciate the journey first. And I think with Magoma, he's going to help them get them there. You know, what we've seen from him so far is that he should definitely be playing a, a level above. Um, he's, he's learning, he's progressing, he's, he's becoming a really, really important player for Bolton. Um, but I don't think we need to cloud the water too much with worrying about what we might be paying for him in the championship or whether or not he's going to be doing this, that and the other. I think you just got to appreciate him whilst he's there. The same as Conor Bradley, the same as uh, James, Tra- James Trafford. And then, you know, if it happens, if, you know, they find an oil well at, uh, in the Tough Sheet Stadium and, and when they go up to, uh, when, if they go up to the championship, then then happy days. Yeah, it's, um, I, I, he's, He's another one. Last few weeks has really come into his own, and I know he had a, a very injury hit, um, you know, start to the season, and we were we weren't questioning him at all. But you were kind of like, well, it's when you're losing three one to Carlisle, and that you were like, is he a bit of a luxury player? Is he going to really yeah, click yeah. in this team? You know, is he working hard enough? But since then, he's since the international break, just after that game, he's been. He's made that position his own. He scored a few goals. Okay, granted, two of them were <laughs> very similar goals that involve a goalie basically chucking it into his own. Ticket, if you don't buy well, the that's ticket, if you don't buy the ticket, that's the one. But, um, but over the, he, he looks a class above. He definitely does. He looked at me overnight against Oxford, and that was against third in the league. He's he's one of those players that just seems. Amiobi had a bit about him. Mm. Um, you know, I think sometimes Josh Sheehan has that about him, where they just look like they're playing. They've just they've got so more space than everyone else. It's as if they've got this ten, like sort of ten, five, five, ten yard buffer around them, where no one is. You know, they they can just. It's um, it's a joy to watch him. So hopefully, uh, we can because you know I think obviously you know teams will be looking at him in the championship, and if he does well this season and we don't get promoted, no doubt he he can make that step above. Mm. But if you look at his histories, he's not really played championship football. You know, he's, he's he was on and loan at MK Dons and. So maybe we might that may run in our favour. People thinking, well, he's not really played at that level. So um, I would love it. I think the midfield we've got our midfield. I think in gen, you know, in total, when you look at Morley on the bench and Dempsey, and I, I think we've got the best midfield in the league. And, and Magoma adds to that. No, I wouldn't disagree with that. And the other thing is, it was a point that 
Ian never brought up was that Paris Magoma brings a lot of the skills that, that Dapar Flyen once did. And going back, it's 200th episode, going back 100 episodes, I would have been sat here saying, you know, Dapar Flyen is the player I most enjoy watching. You know, absolutely fantastic. Like Sheehan, you know, he does just have that kind of style about him. You'd think, what, appreciate aesthetically what a good player he is. Um, Magoma's getting there for me. And, and I think that watching him dance around on there and, and take people on and, and, you know, get the ball in, in with little space around him and little pirouettes he does and such like, it's, it's balletic. It's really, it's good to watch. And he's opening up spaces that Bolton haven't been able to do since they lost Dapo. And that was in a poorer team that that wouldn't have necessarily been able to go on and, and score the goals that this one can. This is a better team that he's playing in and he's still doing it. So there's a, I think... I think he's got it in him to step up um, another level and play championship football, whether that's for Bolton or whether that's for somebody else. That's probably an argument we, or a discussion to be had for another time. But I, I'm really enjoying watching him now. And, and crucially, he's loving his time at Bolton as well. Yeah, you can tell that. And I'm enjoying his uh, goal celebrations as well. And what I enjoyed the most about Saturdays was he does, uh, you know, he did his celebration, did a little dance, and Thomason stood next <laughs> yeah. to him. He, Thomason knows his place in this world, and he just he just watched him. He He's was not, getting not involved. doing that shuffle, was he? That was the thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I love George Thomason. I love his smile, but I, I I can't imagine him on the dance floor with the moves. He he will be a he'd either be a jump up and down. Uh, with his arms in the air, or like the in betweeners, um, <laughs> you know, trying but failing. So, but no, it's uh, it's great. And, you know, the manager mentioned uh, the team spirit after that game, and uh, it did look like they've all got it. And the fact that the likes of Magoma on loan can just come in and feel comfortable around everyone else, it's a it's a testament to what we're building at Bolton. Let's have another headline. Um, right. We, now it seems like every episode we look forward to January, even though we are top of the league. If we <laughs> did, we mention that we mentioned we're top of the league. I think so yeah. I uh, my wife's getting annoyed at me because I keep on saying to her, I "Go, oh Poppy, just while you're on your phone, can you just check something for me?" And she goes, "Yeah, what?" I go, "Can you just check who's top of the league one?" And she's like, "Stop asking me. <laughs> it's not changed." Um, but uh, yeah, we we are looking. Um, you know, Ian Everett says. You know, they're ready to go on the transfer mm. targets. Do you think, say, I mean, I guess we look at, they've always said they're looking at players that can make the level up to the championship. I guess this window is that window where realistically you're looking and going, okay, anyone we sign for longer than six months are probably, let's go possibly for now, but probably going to be in the championship with us. Yeah, well, this is kind of the point I said about Magoma is that, to get players who are going to play in the championship, you're not going to be able to get too many at a, at a low price now. I think that, that you're talking about significant investments. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they go with what they've got for the rest of this season, provided that there's nobody that comes in and makes them an offer that, that they can't refuse on, on a, one of their own players. That's the big danger, I think, is that the players are, are at a level now and they're, they're performing at a level where they get an interest Again, a lot of people looking at Dion, Joshi and Owen Toll, Ricardo Santos, that kind of thing. The, the players who are probably at their peak and are ripe for picking, if you will. So I think that's going to be the story of January is 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 hoping that 
you know, they don't make a, an offer that makes them make that business decision. I, I don't feel from within the club that they're kind of trying to push it out there that that's that's going to happen or that they're worried that that might happen or that even that they're going to be receptive to that happening. But in my own mind, I think that's probably where they're at. I think they, they feel there's a lot of confidence in this squad and in what it can do and it can get them up. Provided there's no... Uh, major injuries. I think. I think personally, it's, it's good enough myself. Now, Gomez going away to the African nations might just throw a little spanner in the works. Maybe there's a little bit of business to be done there, and I think that's one of the things that they're checking on at the moment. See what's available, what could potentially be loaned in in January. Um, but a, a lot of the work that they're doing at the minute is on the proviso of listen. If a big bid came in for, let's say, Dion Charles what would be the one we went for? If if something came in on January transfer deadline day, would we be able to turn around and say, this is what we're going to bid for straight away? So I think it's all kind of plan B stuff at the moment. But my my thoughts at the minute is that they're going to try and stick largely with the squad that they've got and not extend themselves too much more um, unless there's a bid that comes in. Yeah, I mean, that would make sense because it, I was thinking then when you were talking, like, in previous windows, let's say, for example, the last one we had in August, mm. we were saying, right, who's going out? Well, it's going to be sadly a and or John. Yeah. There's no one in this squad who, for me, you look at and go, oh, yeah, they're, pro they're, they're not playing. They probably need to go. Mm. There's no one, really. Everyone's getting game time. Everyone, like You may look at the likes of Forrester, for example, and go, Okay, could he be playing a bit more? Possibly, but he's still a new signing, so yeah. easing him in. I think, uh, you know, maybe Ashworth, I know he's been injury prone. Maybe they'd go, right, oh, we won't take the, uh, the. I know there's a permanent deal at the end of it, potentially. We won't take that, but we'll get someone to replace him. You know, you never know. But other than that, you don't really see any players that are not, uh, that aren't playing and, and need to leave or aren't good enough. So. For me, other than adding one or two bodies is just uh, just in case, oh, we we might be short in that position. I don't really see the point in bringing anyone in to disrupt the squad because the squad's going well as it is. And this team will, in my opinion, if it stays fit, will get us promoted. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a really odd uh, window where, like yeah, like you said, you're really relying on no one coming in for your players, mm -hmm. which, mm -hmm. unfortunately for us at the moment, if you've got... A team in the championship that are wanting that extra bit or wanting to get above the line in relegation you look below and you we're the top of the below so you're going to look at bolton and going what's working for them mm. um and you just hope that they bypass us if it's a team that doesn't play the way we play and go to portsmouth or oxford or peterborough but um yeah it's uh i i think yeah, signings-wise, I agree with you. I think we could have a very quiet January. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely for that. I should add Thomason into that list as well of the, yeah. the players. I think people are potentially just keeping their eye on. But yeah, I think, I think it's going to be quiet, and I don't think that's going to be a, a bad thing for anybody. That just keep this going, and things can change between now and then. There could be injuries. There can be loss of form. They've just got to keep the plates spinning, and I think that's what they're doing at the minute. Is just if they had to move for somebody. Who would it be? Uh, so there's probably a shortlist somewhere. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for that. And if you are listening, scouts of League One, Bolton aren't really playing that well. Peterborough are doing fantastic. Um, Henry will hook yeah. you up with a contact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah the, uh, 
Yeah, they got. Um, they, they only managed to win four 0 on Saturday. No seven. They're playing well. Managers. They're playing well. I, honestly, yeah, yeah. I do think that Peterborough are going to be uh, up there. I think top two at the minute for me. If I had to, if I had to redo my top top four, it would be Bolton, Peterborough, Pompey, Oxford. The way things are looking. I think for me, and and I'm not just saying this because I produce an award-winning podcast of their <laughs> owner, uh, but um, out of the teams that we played this season. Peterborough, the one team that worries me a little bit, and mm. it might be good that we play. I mean, it might be a nightmare that we play them last game of the season. But if we can get promoted before that, it might be a good thing that we play them last, so we don't have to. Uh, we don't have to go there and and try and get something because, you know, I I know that that five nil hurt them last year. Mm. So if we've got to go to Peterborough on the last game, needing something to get promoted, uh, I'd 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 be worried. But but if both teams would be promoted by that point in time, I expect uh, your your uh, paymaster on the other side to be supplying champagne for the press box. By the way, and making yeah. sure that's a that's a nice little buffet you've got there, Dara. Thank you very much. Cheers for that. Uh, I'll see you in the championship <laughs> next season. <laughs> I'll have a chat with him. Uh, right, moving on to the last headline. And uh, speaking of Peterborough, their big rivals, Cambridge, mm. have uh, sacked their manager this week. Mark Bonner has gone. That leaves Ian Everett as now the longest-serving League One manager. Mm. Um, I, I, Ian Everett spoke recently about uh, the fact that he's he really appreciates that uh, he's at a club that seemed to be, you know, on the same page as him. Could have. Mm. Could have pulled the trigger in League Two, didn't, and uh, now he's we're seeing the benefits of it. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a it's one of those landmark moments, isn't it, for Bolton and Ian Everett? Just as a little, just a stop in the in your tracks and go, oh yeah, that's nice. We we're, we're on this journey. We're doing it the right way, and uh, and yeah, it's um, you know shame for Cambridge, but, but nice for Bolton, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we said about longevity and and the importance of it, and. The fact that he's been able to really ingrain the kind of blueprint of the way he wants to play, etc., means that there is just a, a more solid feel about the squad, and that there's no wasted, you know, there's no there's no fat on the meat, if you will, to be trimmed as we go into January. So everybody has got their role. Everybody, you know, they, they know exactly what everybody is doing and and which players get picked against which sort of teams. So. Yeah, that's that's the product of being there for that long that you get to know people that well. Um, so I think with Mark Bonner and Cambridge, I, I question exactly where Cambridge think they should be in the grand scheme of things. I don't know enough about the situation to be able to say, uh, you know, he, he shouldn't have been sacked because, he, you know, it could have been anything going on. But I, I from the outsider looking in, think... Um, he's a little bit unlucky because he's done a terrific job there and created a team that have always caused Bolton problems whenever they've gone there to, to Cambridge. Um, and I, I have to say, uh, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if that, uh, that proves to be a bad decision that they'll be playing League Two football next season, but such is life. Um, but longevity is key. Yeah, longest serving League One boss, I think he's the 10th now in, in all four divisions, which... It's been a while since Bolton have had that. I mean, they've never really been a particularly sacking club, have they? You know, yeah. you might argue that some managers got longer longer than they deserved. But thinking back, even to the first day I ever turned up at the Bolton News, I've only had, you know, seven or so managers, um, which in 20 years or so is is not terrible at all. No, um, it seemed to be uh, when 
under Phil Goutside, it was uh, October was the yes. <laughs> the thing. Big Sam started in October. Obviously, that was different situation because other stuff off the pitch meant that Colin Tog left. Mm. But then, uh, you know, Sammy Lee got sacked in October. Um, well, Megson was December, end of December, wasn't he? But uh, he was. uh, Kyle, Friedman and Lennon. Well, no, Lennon was later on. But Kyle and Friedman definitely were October. So it seems to be that time. But we'll give you 10 games. And if you don't perform, you're out kind of thing. But they all had a few years. There was only Sammy Lee that didn't. Um, and then Keith Hill had a season, didn't he? But... Uh, other than that, yeah, we do tend to, to give our managers a bit of time. But he never has surpassed them all other than Big Sam. I tell you what, though, we're going up against a team in Harrogate on Saturday and Sam and Weaver, who I remember covering as a player when he was at Macclesfield Town a long, 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 long time ago. Um, he's been there like 14 years. Can you can you imagine? You know, there must be like his bum print on the uh, the, the the bench. In the, if he's been there that long, it's completely suited to him. He must know every single yeah. inch of the place. Uh, is he is he related to the chairman? Is he like dad the chairman or something? I think so. Yeah, which would help. Um, I, I can't imagine Christmas dinner will be any will be pleasant if he had to sack his own son. But yeah, he's, uh, he seems he he would have progressed from a bench. To the same seats as uh, what the the fans sit on. To mm. now these sort of uh, gaming chairs or racing driver chairs that we sit them in now. So uh, yeah, he'd have he'd have literally his bum print would have changed in different different seats as he's gone on. Only on this podcast could we be talking about Simon Weaver's bum. Okay, <laughs> Tony Phyllis Kirk has uh, joined us for a chat about his Bolton Wanderers career. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you all. Uh, as much as I can of this interview. Um, and then we're going to come back in off the back of it and uh, and do a little bit of, of looking forward to the two cup games that Bolton have got. But there will be an extended version of this podcast available to subscribers to the Bolton News. Um, we'll do a buff extra, which will be out on Saturday morning. That'll have a bit more talk from Tony, a bit more talk about his, his life and uh, his, his venture into refereeing and things like that, which is really, really interesting. Um, so if you are a subscriber to the Bolton News, happy birthday, uh, happy 200th episode. We've, uh, we're going to give you a bit more Phyllis Kirk, but there's plenty of stuff, even if you're not, to get your teeth into. So ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tony Phyllis Kirk. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Tony Phyllis Kirk and David Reeves. was top goal scorer in every single full season he played at Wanderers, scoring 75 times in 182 appearances, which puts him 25th in the all-time list of goal scorers for Bolt Wanderers. He was one half of Bross. 
and a player who you could <laughs> bet your house on from the penalty spot. It's Tony Phyllis Kirk, of course. Tony, how are you doing, my friend? I'm very well, thank you, Mark. It's uh, lovely to speak to you. Well, well, straight from the off, we'll we'll show our cards that David Reeves should have been here. We were trying to get the Bros reunion together, weren't we? But he's he's a bit poorly. <laughs> yeah, it's such a shame. He always used to make excuses. I remember then it was always an excuse for not getting in the box or doing something. Yeah, no, uh, no. Wish him well when you speak to him. It's a shame. It would have been nice. I I do bump into him now and again. To be fair, because he's still in. Involved in the game some way, shape and form, agency-wise and stuff like this. So I have seen him over the years, but um, obviously in life you move on, don't you, to your own um, different things. And, uh, you know, I, obviously I went down the coaching route and stayed in that way. David's been involved in different the other way. So, uh, yeah, but now and again, we our paths do cross and um, we always refer back to those days, yeah. I, I love the idea of you meeting up somewhere in the, in the leather jackets with... Uh... <laughs> I knew, I knew that was coming. You know, exactly. It's funny, yeah, it's funny you know, because I talk to the young lads. Like, obviously, I, I'm in my 50s now and I speak to, uh, still coaching the under-18s at Burnley and talk to the young lads about, you know, goal scoring and days. And mm. uh, some of them still, obviously, they're that young, they don't realise that you played and then they look back. But uh, if this goes out and some of them watch this, it's one thing I've never, ever referred to to anyone is the Bross thing. So uh, they're probably, <laughs> you, you probably ask him now, Mark, they'll probably go, who's Bross anyway? They probably wouldn't know, would they? It's, they're probably on some 80s revival tour now, though. So it's quite embarrassing, really. It gives away your age a bit, doesn't it? But uh, no, do you know what? I, I've got a newfound appreciation for Ross. I've listened to a bit of their music recently. It wasn't as bad as I remembered back in the day, but hey. Um, listen, I mean, Bolton fans of a certain vintage... Um, we'll remember you, the, the goals for, for one. I mean, looking back at your your time at Bolton, you know, it was so saturated in goals. You, you got so many of them over that sort of three-year period. I mean, it must have been one of the, the happiest times of your career because it just went so well. It wasn't just one of the happiest times, the happiest time in my professional yeah. playing career. Now, listen, I had a lot of good moments at other clubs that I was at with you know promotion at Burnley where I work now etc etc but individually those three years I think I was in my prime as a player mm. my most confident and as a good and obviously as, as a striker the goals um you know obviously attribute to that confidence you know when you're scoring goals and being a threat um you obviously enjoy your football more but um I played in a team under Phil, uh, Neil and Mick Brown with two wingers, um, two very good midfielders and Tomo, Steve Thompson and Julian Darby, but two wings. Stuart Storr, who I thought at the time was one of the most underrated players, um, lightning quick and used to, I used to, Phil and Mick used to just say when, we used to call him Shin because his first touch <laughs> wasn't that great. He used to bounce off him a lot, but it bounce off him and he'd out sprint someone. But he, I tell you what, he was underrated and respect that his delivery from wide. So I used to just concentrate on getting in the box. As we all know, David was the workhorse. Yeah. Um, I thought we had a good combination. And to be fair, Mick and Phil used to just say to me, you know, Dave does all this great work, the, the runs and, and, and work outside the box. But So make sure when the balls, you know, him and the likes of Paul Comstiff, God rest his soul, Bobby Savage, people that used to deliver, Barry Cowdrill from the other side, I used to just make sure I got in the box. Mm. And to this day, Mark, it's something when I'm working with young strikers now, I, I, I still preach the importance of the type of run you make and making sure you get in the box because at the end of the day, when you're classed as a striker, the number matters, doesn't it? Yeah, in my exactly. Opinion, the, run, the number matters. 
I mean, nobody's ever going to argue with your numbers, really, especially at Bolton. Top scorer in every single one of those seasons. And I know it nece- didn't necessarily go right on the pitch. I mean, there's a lot of near misses. There's, a, you know, there's... It, it was a big. It was a big build-up to what was a successful time at Bolton. But from from your, your personal point of view, it went so well. Yeah, it did. And obviously, we can't hide from the fact that Wembley lost to Tranmere was the again my biggest disappointment as a professional mm-hmm. footballer. Not just the results. I think the way we played on the day, the way I, I individually performed on the day. I think two a lot of players froze on the day you know and we just in mm-hmm. me a fair play to them they played five at the back started sean garner to like i know sean quite well and he talks to me regularly about what they'd done that day you know mark me mark reeves he, well tony cunningham ended up starting that game mm-hmm. a really high defensive line a high press and we found it really difficult to get any fluidity to our game something which all through that season when you looked at our goal scoring attributes we were a very fluid team so You've got to give Tramia credit for that on the day. They basically stopped us playing and Chris Macon scored a late goal and broke our hearts, really. And like you say, you dr- I remember drive- sitting in the hotel that night and just thinking, you know, personally, great season, right? 28 goals or something I'd scored mm-hmm. that season, fantastic. But ultimately, I was still playing in League Two the, league- the-, the year after. So not it was all for nothing. Individually, it wasn't, but collectively, it was. Um, we should have went up that year. I think we got 80-odd points, didn't we? And finished third. I clear of in any other season, we would have won the league. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it was really tinged with disappointment in that respect. And uh, But then when I think back of the memories, the fantastic times I had, and Old Trafford and the FA Cup sixth mm. round against Man United and the players who had, they had in the team only lost one now. So the experiences I had at Bolton, the the the, the positives vastly outweigh any negatives in, in any way, shape or form, in my opinion. Well, I mean, I'll track you all the way back to the beginning because you, you turned up, it was Preston you signed from, wasn't it? It was uh, £50,000, which, you know, in, mm-hmm. in today's money is, is, is not a great deal. You didn't waste any time scoring a goal. I think you got one on your debut against Cardiff. And he didn't really look back that season. It was it, it was a dream start for you. Yeah, two things for it. In the January when I was at Oldham, <clears throat> I'd signed from Oldham from Sheffield United and spent time there with Joe Royal, who was an amazing, fantastic manager. You know, look at his record at Oldham. Bottom line is I just couldn't get in the team. Andy mm. Ritchie and Frankie Bunn were the front two that were outstanding. And do you know what? I only had six months there. I learned a lot. I was a young player at Sheffield United. Broke into the first team early, left there, went to Oldham, uh, just couldn't get in the team because of Andy and, and Frank. And I remember Joe calling me in in the January and saying, look, Tom, um, I don't want you to go. But you, I, know I, I was getting frustrated at that time. I think I'd made sub every game and about one or two starts and I was used to playing. And Joe was fantastic with me. And I had the choice of Bolton, Preston or Wrexham at that time. And at the time, just... Um, I think Bolton had run a little bit of a wobble. Preston were on the verge of the playoffs. Wrexham, I didn't want to travel far because I just, in, in that, that time, you know, um, I just moved into my house down here, you know. Um, um, Preston was the right club at that moment because they were aiming for the playoffs. But then, obviously, I went to Preston and I'd done quite well. So I think I scored six or seven goals in 12 games and we got in the playoffs and then, um, I'm not going to speak bad about anyone. The, the manager there at the time left me out in the in the playoffs uh, for reasons. That's between me and him. Um, and um, and then subsequently the opportunity came 
to to leave after them six or seven months in the summer, and then thankfully Phil um, still got in touch and said he wanted me. So I, uh, I then obviously then signed for Bolton, which was probably six or seven months later than um, it possibly could have been. When I signed for Bolton, um, I actually in I got married in that summer. On my on my wedding day, as part of my speech on my wedding day, it was because uh, everyone was talking to me about press. I said, "Oh, actually, I've signed for Bolton." So, <laughs> really, <laughs> part of my speech on my wedding day, I remember that. Yeah, and then and like everything, um, do you know what was silly? I think I played for ten or eleven clubs, and I think I had a, a, a pretty strange um, stat that I think bar one of one of them clubs, I scored on my debut for every club. Is that right? I think I'd have might have been the only one towards enemy career when I didn't. So, um, yeah, I mean, as a striker, you just want to get up off and running, don't you? And obviously, big card first game scored in that game, and then as a striker, like you say straight away, you're up and running. The the fans are on your side, as you know. The Bolton fans are really passionate. We went won that game first game, which was a great win first game, and then you're up and running, aren't you? And then fortunately, like you said, Mark was was able to carry that on with a lot of help from my teammates, in particular, your Stuart Storrs this world, but the lad who was supposed to be on with me, David, who was a, a dream partner. I've got to honestly say that, and he had a great career as well. He went on to, you know, play for. You know, play higher than I did. I think after that, so uh, he was a dream partner. So uh, yeah, um, just. Them three years just fantastic, and to cap it all off that year when I got the got a gold, won the golden boot, didn't I? For the top goal scorer, and that still takes pride of place in uh, in the house to this. Doesn't look like the boots would fit though. I've got a picture of you somewhere with with the with the boot. It's about a size yeah. three. It's tiny. Yeah, it's metal. It's metal. It's like <laughs> it's bright. I tell you what, plumb and heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. But um, yeah, when anybody ever comes, obviously I've got it. You know, you know, proudly displayed at home here. Obviously, the best individual achievement of my whole career. And again, um, a lot of credit that goes to Bolton Wanderers, the staff mm. and the players I played with. There's a game I did want to a game a game I wanted to ask you about in that first season is is the Swindon Town League Cup tie oh. that you had. It, it, seven and a half hours of football it took to four whole games, which in this kind of day and age when they're talking about doing away with replays, you kind of you look at that and think, yeah, I've got you've got a point there, really. I mean, what was what was that like to play in two games at Burnley, two games at County Ground? Crazy. It's funny the lad who works with me, sports science now at Burnley. I mean, new sports science lad who came in this year, Jack Damon. He's um, you know, um, a massive fan. You know what I'm saying? So we. Uh, you know, we often talk. I often talk about that, and he's like scrolling through history and things like that. But when you look, I, I, I bumped into Colin Calderwood, who's obviously been in management yeah. for the last few years. Great lad. Obviously, you know, Glenn Huddle was playing in them games. I think yeah. so. He was player manager, wasn't he? So, and then Colin, and then you know, like to Steve White, people we jump in. So I've seen Colin Laws because obviously he's been in management for a long time. I bumped into him at a game um, back end of last season. And we were sitting and we were talking about them four games. He said, I spent seven and a half hours trying to kick you off the park. He said, <laughs> said yeah, I spent seven and a half hours raising my elbows to protect myself against you. But we had a long conversation about that. It was crazy, crazy, yeah. wasn't it? You know, just like unbelievable games. And I remember all four games with tremendous atmospheres as well. The so swindling up very good crowds. We were obviously fantastically supported. But obviously, um, again, when you talk to... Uh, the younger players and players that today and talk about things like that, they actually don't believe you. 
They don't believe you. No, no, you never played. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, we were four four times in it, wasn't it? In less than a month, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But being okay if we were just round the corner, but it was a a five or six hour journey as well, wasn't it? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, the, yeah. the end of that season, you, you got beat by by Notts County in, in the playoffs, which the yeah. yeah, which was was a bit of an anticlimax because the kind of the club had been building towards uh, they'd been very successful, hadn't they, at that point in time, and and you know maybe not as disappointed as the Tramway one that followed, but you, yeah. again, nearly men really. I mean, it, it, it needed yeah, I think to... I scored first in the semi final, didn't I? A very good goal, yeah. then I think it was a volley, wasn't it? I scored a really mm. cracking goal actually, and I think we went ahead, and I think. Then they pegged us back, and I think, yeah, again, I think we, when we scored the goal, I, mean, I remember the noise. Um, the main things that the games I remember the noise that the Bury game, yes. you'll probably come into that the year after, and um, the Preston game when unfortunately Bobby broke his leg and we were one nil down. I think it was the year after again, and the referee had to play 10, 11 minutes overtime, extra time, it was called then, and I scored two in extra time and beat them 2-1. The, the noise when I scored that, the noise at uh, Burnham when I scored the goal to beat Bury in the playoff semi-final, and the noise in that game is the ones, the, the three big goals that I scored at Burnham Park was just deafening, the noise, and it was really good for me individually to score those important goals but like you say again tinged with sadness that we couldn't go on and finish the job so to speak I mean Burnham was a, was a funny place in that at that point in the club's history the big, the biggest crowds were not there you know they, they were they were very up and down but for the big games people assembled and you got that noise it must no. have been a really strange place to play at a time because it was such a cavernous stadium yeah and it was and it was strange wasn't it because the you fell off the pitch, didn't you? Yeah. And then if you shot down the other end and you missed the target, the ball had bounced off the normid wall and it hit the wall and bounced back <laughs> on the far side. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, but I don't know, it was just, uh, just the atmosphere, just on the day, it just, it was just like a little, I think we had a really good home record, didn't we? We never lost many games. I can't remember losing many games. You might tell me different, Mark, but I can't remember losing many games at home. When mm. I was at, I can't remember many games driving home from Burnham Park on a Saturday night thinking that result of that performance has ruined my weekend. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I think mm. when you look at our ratio when Phil was manager, then, then that period, certainly the first two years of the the games that we won or drew were, were very impressive. We didn't lose many games. And again, just just, just couldn't seem to get over the line, could we? Which, when I look back now, when I then left and went to Peterborough, and done quite quite well there. We were in the, the league above, scored a lot of goals there as well. Um, but then look back over my career, I, I think, obviously I think coincided with getting married, having my first child and all this. All them memories were when I was at Bolton, mm. when I was at my happiest both on and off the pitch, certainly. I mean, what was what was Phil Neal like to to work with? Because obviously this is a guy that's been there, done that, he's got all the t-shirts. But actually at the time he had a bit of a well, he ended up having a difficult relationship with the Bolton yeah. fans. And that's probably because the last season wasn't as successful. But he he has he's somehow history's changed him a little bit in as much as he got involved with the England thing and he did that thing with Graham Taylor. Maybe people look at him a different way. But actually, he was he was very successful in that that spell at Bolton. Very calm. Yeah. Um, considering he's from Liverpool, very successful man. Is, hasn't he got the most medals, trophies, winners? Certainly, up, certainly. Up, whether he has in this day, one of them. I, 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 definitely up there. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Someone. Mm. I, 
I think he's the most decorated Liverpool, one of the most decorated Liverpool players in history. Um, then he had Mick, who was an outstanding coach. Mm. Mick Brown, who'd obviously been, you know, he'd worked with Ron Atkinson at Man United. And Mick was the little pit bull. He was brilliant. I've still speak to Mick. I've spoke to Mick regularly and he was an excellent coach. Uh, but Phil used to obviously let Mick do the coaching and he he was the manager. You know what I'm saying? From now we work in a world where most really they're not managers now, they're the head coaches with directors of football. But yeah. you could say probably Phil, without not in name, was more the director of football and, and, and Mick was the head coach. You know what I'm saying? So, But I'm sure... Phil used to lead that and tell Mick what he wanted to do. But the biggest thing I remember, about, I don't know how old he was, how good he still was. He used to <laughs> demonstrate and train, join in training now and again. He was absolutely bloody brilliant. You yeah, know, great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I know in the last year things had changed a bit and he took a bit of flack and this, that and the other. But um, he never let that transmit to the players. I can honestly never remember. Yeah, he'd come in at half time and if he had things to say and dig players out this side and other, which was a lot easier to do in them days as it is nowadays. <laughs> we'll smile about that one. Um, yeah, I, I can remember. I can honestly never really remember that he actually ever really lost it. Do you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, He was yeah. calm. Um, he wasn't one of them managers who used to say, oh, I used to play Liverpool and I played with Doug Leafs, so I played with this, and, which you could easily do, couldn't you? And he, you know, he, was, he knew the level, he knew the players he wanted, he trusted his, his lads. And I think, like you said, them first two seasons, um, I've proved that. And I've got to say it now, Mark, and I, I say it then and I'll say it now and I'll say it till the day I die and anybody know who I'm trying to mentor in the coaching route now is that, you know, you know the Players don't care what you think unless mm -hmm. they think that you care. Yeah. And I think Phil was certainly so you can be the best coach in the world, but if the players don't want to play for you, you, you know, you no yeah, chance have you. Yeah. No chance have you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, when I think back to the, some of the best managers I've ever worked with, they were demanding, they asked for things, but you wanted to play for them. You didn't want to let them down. Now, mm -hmm. you don't get to be at that level or that thought process about not wanting to let that man down unless you really like them, really trust them and really respect them. And I really, all them three things, I really did all those things with Phil Neal and Mick Brown. I really liked them. I really trusted them and I really respected them. You can't not respect Phil Neal for what he'd done in football, could you? No, absolutely. Surely. Absolutely. And the thing is... I mean, the, the following season, the, the 1991 was was the best season. The 23 games unbeaten, which was which was madness. And and the team that, as we're talking now, in Bolton have gone eight, eight in a row. Um, they're looking for nine tomorrow night at Oxford. The last team to do that was 1991. Yeah. You know, the, you were stringing wins together, impossible to beat, right at the top of the table. You know, had had you just edged into those automatics rather than it being the playoffs. It could be Phil Neal being lauded as, well, Bruce Rioch, effectively. And, and it's strange how, yeah. how fortunes work. Yeah, 100%. I remember that. You know, like you say, you touched on it there, Mark. I think when you're in that reign of form, <clears throat> the opposition worry more about you than worry about them. Mm. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah. Without even thinking about the league level. In that level, you're just going into thinking, I'm thinking we're creating chances. Like I'm going to score every game. Mm. You're playing most of the game in their half because you're dominating the ball. So defensively, they're not being taxed as much as normally do. You know, when you're not playing so well and you're always under pressure, you're not stressed as much. We were dominating the ball, um, predominantly in possession. Um, 
myself and Reeves, you were probably, I'd say, in our prime then. Mm. We were playing at our best. Our combination play was the best. You know, just such a simple thing as I'd win a flicker on an eager on the back of it. And we were all at that stage where we were, I thought we had times in that season virtually telepathic. If it, I used to say to Dave, if it's a long, long flat ball, I'm going to flick it on, but I'm going to flick it straight. But he'd automatically make the run. But if it's a little diagonal ball, I'm nodding it down to the side. So we'd then come off the front, so to speak. And we just, so it was like, depending on which ball came up to me, Dave's movement mirrored what we were talking about. And our link play was great. And then just everything. But also, you know, we worked ever so hard. We, we worked hard as a team. Mick, was a tough coach. He was coach. If we hadn't had a game during the week, we used to have what was called rededication day on a Tuesday, <laughs> which basically was a running session, a tough, tough running session. But you know what? After it, you just felt you've achieved something that day. We were fit. We were strong. We had a bit of height in the team, presence, and blooming really good players. Um, and you just feel at that time that whoever you're playing against, especially at that level, you're going to win. And then, like you say, subsequently we won. Was it nine in a row? We nine in a row, yeah. In all, in all competitions. Nine in a row, yeah. 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 Thought yeah. it was, yeah. And just, uh, yeah, um, yeah, fantastic time. Fantastic. Times. Uh, good players, good lads. And that was another thing I'd like to touch on. Fantastic set of lads. Mm. Like if it was someone's birthday or someone's wife's birthday, for example, said, "Oh, we're going if nearly everybody would go. Mm. Nearly mm. everyone would go if you could. Most of the lads lived more localish. Now, obviously, players live much further away at times, and um, things that you know. One thing which has changed in modern football compared to the, what it was then. I think it was it was much more closer then. I mean, yeah. Listen, after the game, it was into the players' bar. Mm. by your opponent and by your teammates of point. That was what it was. And it was that. And I'm not saying that's right, but it's so different now, isn't it? The game's moved on so much. But that really closeness and camaraderie and that what we had in that team. Um yeah, we had it once but when I was at Peterborough. We had we had a year we stayed up when oh we stayed up with the team we had and that's no disrespect to the players. And we had that slightly. But that that at Bolton of the two two or three years I had there the, the lad, we were really tight knit group, mm. and I think that showed off the pitch would certainly then transcend it to our work on the pitch too. One thing that I think always springs to mind whenever you talk about that team is is the commentary and the roadrunner videos. Dave, the Dave fact, yeah, Dave. So uh, kind of the the way that we rewatch all these videos now and the, your yeah. your clips especially is through the roadrunner stuff and through Dave with Dave's voice. So, yeah. well, how important was that? Did the lads realise at the time? Did they? Did they? Did they get it at the time, or is that something we've kind of we've we've seen in past past years? I think the lads were good with Dave. I think Dave, yeah. like, used to do his interviews after the game. Quick story here. I'm sorry, you know, last no, story. Quick story here. I left Bolton, signed for Peterborough. Three months later, I come home and my wife says, because I was at the time, I was renting in Peterborough and coming home. My wife wasn't down. Then she moved down with me. So for two or three months, I was traveling, staying in hotels, etc. Then I was, I'd moved back. And one day my wife said, oh, this has come. And I opened it as a package and it was a video. And uh, to this day, to this day, I don't know who sent it. But I assumed it was Dave and it was a Roadrunner road runner video, mm. The Iceman. And it was nearly all my goals. 
that I'd scored. I bought 50 odd of the 70 odd of my goals. Wow. And I tried to get in touch with people and this, that, and then trying to find out. And um, I assumed it was Dave. I don't know. I've still got it to this day, by the way. Mm -hmm. I think I've transferred it to a CD, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, listen, I think Dave was like, the unofficial Sky Sportsman, wasn't he? He, he, he was. was our man. He was Bolton Wanderers' man. So if we'd have won and I'd scored, and Reeves had scored, whoever had made the main contribution to that game, if Felgi had saved a penalty, he'd interview them after the game. So mm -hmm. all the lads, yeah, I never knew any of the lads who used to assume, no, 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 I've got to do that. I think Dave was, he was part and parcel of the club, wasn't he? It only, it's only Bolton, is it? Nowhere else would get that, really. Correct. Correct. Anybody else would listen to it and think, well, who's this madman here? But it, it kind of just it translates, doesn't it? It's a ding-dong-do. <laughs> <laughs> he was fantastic. He was fantastic. You touched on before, there was a couple of FA Cup games as well that, that very near misses. I mean, you got to play at United, which must have been a fantastic experience at the time. Loads of Bolton fans remember that game. And then there was one against Southampton as well, wasn't there? They just edged past. I mean, again, you know, nearly meant. Three, three, two, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, listen. You know, we just—I remember the United game more than anything because it was just like walking out at Old Trafford, sixty thousand, wherever there, yeah. and it was like unbelievable. And I remember at nil, nil, and I know he's passed away now. Les Seeley, the goalkeeper, has made an unbelievable save off me. Yeah. Stewart got down the line, cut it back. I've took a touch me right and just spun. And if anything, well, I've hit it too. Well, if I'd have miskicked it, it had gone in. Yeah. And you know when someone's going to hit you in the midriff or somewhere a little bit more painful and your immediate reaction is to cover yourself like that, Les yeah. done that and trapped the ball right in the middle. If I'd have miskicked it off a yard either way, and that was, I remember, I think that was right on half time. And yeah. we'd have gone in at half time, one nil up. And then obviously I we played ever so well that day. And then Mark Hughes broke our heart. He scored, he scored about the 80th minute or so. It was really late in the game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we lost one nil, but I thought we'd give a great account of ourselves that mm. day. A mm. really good and I always remember uh, the great Alex Ferguson coming onto the pitch after the game and walking and then congratulating us and saying and Steve Bruce and Gary Pallister, you know, you know, talking to me after the game and, and, mm. and saying you know, we'd identified you as we had to stop you playing. You know, says stop you scoring. You know, you score goals. I remember that because Steve Bruce clotheslined me once in the game. I'm trying to make a run along the line. Next minute, I'm on the floor. He got Philly. Don't make them runs. I don't like them. Put his arm. <laughs> I'd run straight into his arm. Yeah. So as you, you could get away with them in them days. But um, yeah, amazing, amazing time, amazing experience. Um, and I think my wife was heavily pregnant on during that game as well. I remember she was sitting right. in the stands. So yeah. I mean, Marvelous. the the last the last season, obviously, it didn't go so well for Phil, and 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 they missed out at Trammer as you as you touched on before, which was a disappointment. But that kind of it, it, it was a, it was a big change then because the fans had the fans had decided that was that was that I don't think there was any coming back for the manager. How how hard was that at the time because you'd been Phil Neal's man and 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 the spearhead. Yeah, well, as soon yeah, and as soon as the change came, and you know what? And sometimes in football, I talk about this. I, I know uh, Bruce has done Gregor really well. Gregor's mm -hmm. like academy manager for many years at Wigan, so yeah. our paths crossed many times. Gregor's made the step up now. I think. Is he some title? Is a director of football or something at Wigan now? So well done to him. So myself and Greg's paths crossed for many many years, and I always had conversations with him because I just remember the one day 
Bruce called me in and said, and I'm thinking, well, I've done really well. He's calling me in. Oh, I'm going to get a new contract. And he turned around and said, Philly, you're not for me. I want to bring John McGinley. Andy, Andy was already there. I think, yeah, yeah. I'm going to let you go. And I remember me face dropping. So at the time, because I was in love with Paul Wonders. I was in love. I was in heaven. I was loved it. Geography-wise, it wasn't too far. I travelled in every day with Brownie, Phil Brown. That was an experience in itself. Get him on, get him on this if you can. Um, <laughs> and we were big buddies, and it was just heaven. And then mm. all of a sudden, I remember coming home that day and turning around and saying, oh, they've, they've sold me to Peterborough. Mm. And I was just like, and the first thing is, where's Peterborough? You know yeah. what I'm saying? What yeah. they, Where is it? Yeah. And then really, actually, it was pretty pretty far south. And I'd, I'd, you know, and, and I'd, and I'd gone as quick as I was there. Mm. I'd gone. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Listen, he had taken over and he'd done pre-season and there's one or two things happened in pre-season. I'm thinking, mm, oh, he hasn't played me then. Oh, he hasn't, oh, I'm playing in that game when I'm not playing in that game. So there was one or two signals. So at the time I was like, God, I can't believe that. But through my career, playing and then going into coaching, and obviously I've been caretaker manager, I told him a few times. The one thing Bruce, I learned from Bruce that day was he was honest. Mm. I've worked for many managers who worked, not work, worked when I was a player for a few managers who whisper behind your back and you're finding out what they're saying off other people, which I never liked. Mm. Bruce, one thing at the time, even though I didn't like him for it, but afterwards I spoke to him and said, you know what, and I spoke to Greg and said, well, I really respect your dad because he could have just chopped my legs off and just said, you're not playing anymore. This time. And then he, came and he just said, Philly, you're not for me. Mm. I want to bring someone else in to replace you. Well, that was John McGinley, and he didn't do too bad, did he? You know, right, so yeah. I know John quite well. Um, <laughs> so at the time, I was really disappointed. But then when you look back now, when you're older and wiser, you think, you know what, at least he was honest. And again, that's one thing I've taken into my coaching. And when I have taken teams managerial-wise, is that if I'm not going to play players or this, that and the other, I always like to tell them because as a player myself, Mark, I like that. So, mm -hmm. And then obviously I left and then, um, let's be honest, um, Bruce took them to the next level, didn't he? Yeah, I'm a, absolutely. But I think a lot of it was down to the the, the groundwork that that team, that Phil Neal's team yeah. sort of put in yeah. and, you know, a lot of players, the McAteers, the Walkers, Stubbsy, Brownie, yeah. you know, they, they, were all, they yeah. all came through from that earlier time. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can you can debate that until the cows come. On. Anybody, anybody of that era who who was there, uh, I think there's a lot of people that say how heartbroken they were when you got sold at the time as well. And obviously, it's reciprocal. It must have been both ways. Uh, listen, yeah, I I found it really. I've got to be honest. I found it really difficult, and mm. especially then having to relocate. That makes mm. sense. I've mm. lived in the northwest since I left Sheffield United. I had 18 years of age in 1987. And I'd left at age six or seven. I was settled in my house. Obviously, I had my first child. Uh, every, everything was just lovely, settled. You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden, I'm having to uproot. Like I said to you before, I lived three or four months on my own in Peterborough when I've got a wife who's got a baby. You know what I'm saying? So And then having to come home every weekend. You know, so, so go from like, I'm not saying comfort because you're never comfortable, but you know what I'm saying, yeah. happy. Your life's on that straight line. So now it's been turned upside on its head that everything's now changed. I could listen to you all day. I mean, absolutely fantastic to listen to how passionate you are about football. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, especially Bolton Wanderers 
I mean, it would have been lovely to be able to, to sit here and listen to to, to Reevesy chipping and do the legwork as well. But uh, it's yeah, you've just been talking about how he done all my work and without his runs that I wouldn't have scored half my goals. And, do you know what? <laughs> I, I probably I probably would have done, but I probably couldn't disagree. <laughs> but he used to I used, I used to run the channels that well, and I used to just say to him, "Well, if he wants to do it, get on with it, mate. I'm getting in the box." And do you know what? In in a daft way, it's like. You're thinking, oh, you're being a bit lazy. Because I was at times accused of being lazy. But David worked so hard and we played with the two wide players. And I just thought it was vitally important. And Mick and Phil used to just say to me, make the box, make the box, make the box. And ultimately, majority, let's be honest, yeah, I was a good penalty taker. Scored a few good free kicks. Scored the odd worldie. But I would say, at least all through my career, I bet you 80 to 90% of my goals were scored in the box. So um, that's why I applied my trade. And, um, yeah, it's it's surreal thinking about it, that. It's as if it never happened. It's strange. Talk to my wife about <laughs> it a lot. But obviously when you look at the numbers and look at the record and then you stick the old video that Dave sent me on, the old the CD is, is now, the old blockbuster. The Iceman Cometh. That's yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, that was me. It did happen. Yeah. yeah. Good times. Good times. I really appreciate it, Tony. Thanks very much, mate. Yes, yeah, more than welcome. It's been a pleasure. Right, I really enjoyed talking to Tony. I, uh, such, he's got such passion for the for the game, and and he speaks so warmly about Bolton Wanderers as well because it was definitely along with Peterborough, harking back to what we were talking about before. They they were the most prolific times of his career, but I think, like all strikers, they love to be loved, and I think he was definitely loved at Burnham Park. Yeah, well, he was before my time, so I never saw him, but I definitely knew his name growing up, my dad would say about Phyllis Kirk. And I think around that time where it wasn't perhaps the most, uh, it won't be the most talked about no. in, in Bolton Wanderers history, but he was definitely, you know, someone who, you know, the, the fans still love. Right, to close this one out, let's look forward to the, uh, to a bit of cup action. Prediction time. Pass us my crystal ball. What's happening next week? Prediction time! You know, in my notes, I've only made reference to the Harrogate Town game. I completely forgot the Bristol Street Motors Trophy second round game against Port Vale was was even in happening, Henry. But there we go. That's uh, that's the kind of fly by the seat of your pants editing that we're going to be doing on this podcast. Um, I mean, in in both cases, you suspect there's going to be changes maybe maybe chances given to some of the players that haven't played a great deal but and we always say this with the never whenever he sort of says oh i'm going to make changes they always ends up being a really strong team yeah. so i i don't think it's it's certainly not going to be ragas rovers that's for sure no it's not and uh, it's it's harrogate ones a great opportunity for us to get into the third round first time mm. in quite a few years and uh, potentially get a big cup tie on the telly so um, yeah, I, 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 to be honest, Mark, I, I don't see, I, I really can't see us losing. <laughs> like I, when we got this draw, there is no way on earth I see us losing. You know, some even I know, you know, you Portsmouth are out, and there is op- there is times where the the bigger team do lose to the, uh, you know, the the underdog. But at home, the way we're playing, I've seen this before. You saw it against Barrow in the. Uh, Carabao Cup earlier in the season I know it was only 1-0 but we dominated the game Solihull the same 
Salford the same, United under twenty ones the same, even Stockport away in the the, yeah. the SM trophy. We the way they play. Yeah. The way they play, there is no way we're going to lose this. I'd be surprised if we win less than 3-0, to be honest. And I know that's very, it sounds arrogant and condescending towards Harrogate. And they, they're a half-decent team. They drew against Wrexham the other day. But yeah. there, there is no way I see us losing this game. No, I, I'm with you. I don't see them losing the game. I think I, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see whether they can keep that clean sheet up. Because obviously that would be an eighth and that would mean that the club record goes to Bolton. To this team, rather than being shared with <laughs> yeah. to Bolton, you know, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, from Bolton, <laughs> from Bolton, from Bolton to Bolton. But no, in, instead of like a 1900s team, it'd be Ian Everett's team. That'd be that'd be uniquely there. So that that would be that would be nice if they can keep the clean sheets. Um, I'm not worried. I mean, it, we would have to do a special podcast, I think, to apologise if Bolton yeah. were to were to go out at the second round stage to Harrogate Town at home the way they're playing at the minute. And then, of course, you've got a third round draw where, I mean, in an ideal world, would you like to just say, right, let's 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 absolutely crack it now? You know, Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, whatever away, one time only. Let's go and do it, or at home even. Um, or would you rather get one that you've got more of a chance of going through into the fourth round and, and getting that bit of extra maybe prize money? Which which way would you go? Uh, no, I, I think uh, the thing is the FA Cup's the FA Cup. We have a rich history in it, and uh, and it's a great competition. And, and one of my dreams for for Bolton is to see us in an FA Cup final, but I, we're not going to get there <laughs> this year. So we might as well just. Third round, get a massive tie. Uh, you know, if we win, amazing. If we don't, then it is what it is. We move on, and uh, as long as we don't get, you know, absolutely battered. Like, I think for me, the the he's he's got to be United. I think we've not yeah. played him in a long time. We we've missed out. You know, we last played him when Ferguson were there. Everyone's been taking points off United, and we've not been there. So we we drew to play him. Um, I'd say a home game. I'd like, I'd like, yeah, Old Trafford would be nice to go to and they'd give us probably five or 6,000 tickets, which no doubt we'd sell. But, um, yeah, I think United at home, on telly, the way they're playing, um, I, 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 they'd probably beat us. But, you know, there is that slight chance that we might get something from them. Um, whereas if we played City or Liverpool, I think we'd get battered and... Uh, but I think if you look at the top six, and I don't, again, we've not even got through the second round yet. I think this could be really <laughs> embarrassing. But if you look at the top six in the Premier League, I think you've got half of them that are uh, from London. So as yeah. nice as it'd be to play them at home or go away, it's not really got that same thing to it. We've played Liverpool in this competition about six or seven years ago. They would batter us anyway. City would batter us. So it's only United, really, that I'd be interested in. It'd be a great occasion. But... Um, you know what? If we're on the telly, uh, give us give us any Premier League team. It's fine. Well, it was. It, I think it would just be good to to face off against a team higher in the uh, in the in the you know in the pyramid. I mean, there's a bit of me selfishly that would say Brentford away because that would be a, a ground to tick off. Um, yeah. And I actually, I kind of like the idea of going to Spurs away as well because I haven't done it since they got re renovated um it's still it still ticked off on my list because they just turned the pitch around it doesn't they've not moved it's the <laughs> same postcode um so yes uh the, the, those two selfishly but no i think manchester united at home would be the one 
sell the place out completely. I mean, you dare to dream, don't you? You dare to dream about that sort of one. Um, that would be that would be another box tip to a huge FA Cup giant killing is another thing that Bolton haven't done yet. So who knows? Who knows what the future... Get past Harrogate, though, first, lads. Don't yeah. worry about what we're saying now. Um, so secondly and lastly, of course, the Bristol Street Trophy Motors, tree, Streety Motors, <laughs> whatever the hell it's called. Um, yes, the, the, the EFL Trophy or the Papa John's Trophy or... Um, is on Tuesday night, Port Vale. Probably the least spectacular draw I can think of, Port Vale on a Tuesday night. And actually, probably the hardest draw Bolton could have got of the teams as well, really. Yeah, yeah. The, the others were under 21s, weren't they? Yeah, so, uh, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Port Vale are, are struggling a bit. They're in the bottom six, aren't they? So they are. uh, you'd like to think that shouldn't be a problem. Uh, there's always something about Port Vale. Like, I know we've. Yeah, we we've won our last. We, I don't think we've lost to them, but since that six three, definitely we've uh, and we even won the return game. We haven't lost many times to Port Vale, not more than once anyway when we've played them. But there's always something about them you think. Um, but you know we're at home. You couldn't have asked for anything more, and uh, you know we we're there to be shot at, aren't we? The reigning champions. Yeah. I, I... I mean, we've, we've covered it before. I, I still want to get to Wembley. I still want to win this again. I'm, I, I don't care uh, about yeah. the number of games that rack up and such. I just keep on winning games. It doesn't do any harm. And it certainly helps to, to bring in the Joel Coleman, you know, Will Forrester, maybe get um, Bob Varson, everybody else, you know, even even the likes of Kyle Dempsey. Imagine being able to just bring in Kyle Dempsey for an FA Cup game or for a Cup cup game. It's crazy, yeah. isn't it? Um, who's who's looking really good, by the way. He came on against Exeter and he was like a Tasmanian devil. It was crazy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think there's, there's, a good, there's good competition in that squad and, and I think these Cup games really do help to keep it that way. Um, so yeah, that's, that's episode 200 out of the way, Henry. You feeling good about it? I am, yeah, especially after the, uh, uh, you know, we started with a 7-0 and we've ended with, uh, we're going to be basically beating Man United in the FA Cup, <laughs> so it's it's a very positive episode. Yeah, man, I like some rocky theme tune going all the way through this one, to be fair, but uh, no, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure, an absolute honour, in fact, to, uh, to be bringing you 200 episodes worth of headlines, and I dare say that uh, we'll be doing it in, I mean, four, in four years' time. Here's, here's the last question to see out the, the episode. So four years ago, just over, but we'll say four years, uh, you, you came onto the podcast uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, full of hope, full of dreams, full of expectations, um, but Bolton were about 19th in League Two. Um, where are Bolton going to be in four years? The, the, uh, yeah, the start of December two. 2027 where will Bolton be Bolton will be let's be positive Bolton will be if not about to get into the Premier League we'll be in the Premier League four years time Bolton Wanderers will be looking to get into the Premier League that's my prediction I think they'll be up the top end of the championship and looking to get into the Premier League so fingers crossed yeah, that'd be nice. It'd be, uh, it will be nice uh, eventually, hopefully, when we get back to the Premier League. Uh, it'll be a, a nice, it'll round off a very difficult period in Bolton's history. And 
it'd be nice to be playing matches on a Saturday again because the way the EFL is <laughs> going, I don't think we're going to play many unless we get to the Premier League. So, uh, no, yeah. fingers crossed. Ah, well, there we go. Thank you very much for joining in uh, 2000, uh, 2000, Jesus, 200th episode. Thank you very much to Tony Phyllis-Kirk for chatting with us as well. Fantastic guest. Thank you to Henry. Thank you to Simon for doing the music uh, for all these years as well. Thank you for everybody that's listened. And we'll continue bringing you a bit of the buff. Uh, Until then, I have been Mark Isles. And I have been Henry Hewitt. And this has been the 200th buff. (laughs) 